Hello and welcome back to the Follower Podcast, everybody. Uh, wherever you are in the world as you listen to this, I pray that your Christmas and your New Year were meaningful times. Uh, I pray that the miracle of Jesus took in some new dimensions and definition for you as it did for me. And, and I pray that uh, as we move ahead into 2023, now well underway, uh, you have some sense of hope and expectation for all that God wants to do uh, kind of in and through your life this year. Um, now, if you subscribe to my mailing list, which is uh, at mattlewis.co.za, you can go check it out there. Uh, you'll know that I, I ended off last year on the road. So, so in four months, I was able to connect with friends in uh, USA, in England, in Ireland, in Sweden, in Germany, and in Abu Dhabi. And, and many of those people actually listen to this podcast. We, we ate some good food together, we laughed a lot, we prayed, we dreamed about what God might be wanting to do in our lives and in our cities. Uh, it was just a really, really good time. So if you're listening to this and that was you, man, just big shout out to you guys. I'm just so grateful for you. And, and that time that we spent together was, it was a really, really good time. Uh, now, one of the things that we dreamed about when we were meeting and, and different people having these conversations was the possibility of having follower communities start to gather in different cities and homes around the world. And the kind of common intention of these communities would be that they become places of learning and practice in the way of Jesus. Um, this, this is something we've actually been experimenting with slowly in the background for the last while. And a few people, as many as 30 people, have been gathering online weekly, talking, dreaming, learning about what spaces like this might look like. Uh, now, we're still very much in the middle of that experimentation, but we do have a sense that, it, that it's good to make room at these tables for people maybe like you. So if you're listening to this and you haven't been part of tables or you don't even really know what I'm talking about, um, if you sense in yourself a kind of uh, deepening hunger for God, what I've come to call the ache. If your current faith experience is valuable, but in many ways still leaves you thirsting for something more. If you, if you want to figure out how to follow that longing, that ache, into a deeper friendship with Jesus, then I just want to encourage you to stay connected to what is happening with Follower over the next couple of months. Because our next series, the series we're leaning into, is... Uh, is a series called We Are Follower. It's going to be happening here on the podcast. And in the series, we're really going to look at what exactly a community of learning and practice in the way of Jesus is, and also have a closer look at what it means to follow Jesus to the depths of his heart and to the ends of the earth in such a community of learning and practice. So you'll not only hear from me in this series, but from other members of the follower community, people who've been meeting online and friends of the community for a while, um, and also thought leaders and practitioners who will invite to speak into key areas of these ideas along the way. It's going to be an adventure, and, and what I'm hoping for is that it's going to help you, whether you find your place self at a, at a table or not, but it's going to help you in your following of Jesus, as always, that's the goal. But that for some of you, uh, it'll actually be an encouragement and a pathway for you to find your, your place around one of these tables in a city near you, in a place where you can journey with others from different expressions of the Christian faith, different backgrounds, uh, different uh, socioeconomic brackets even, different uh, ethnic backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, into deeper friendship with Jesus. 
So, so stay connected. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching We Are Follower and make sure to listen to new episodes of the podcast in the next while where I'll be keeping you up to date on things as they develop. So that's what's coming up, but that's not this episode. Instead of jumping straight into the We Are Follower series, I thought it'd be good to open up the year with one of the last conversations I had in 2022 with Christine Westhoff. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it's because her husband, Craig, closed off the podcast for us last year with a two-part conversation. And man, I would just I would highly recommend that conversation to you if you haven't listened to it already. Uh, in this conversation that you're about to hear, uh, Chris and I talk about all things prophetic, which is really why I wanted to share it now, because there's something disruptive about the things she shares and the way she shares them. Uh, one of my takeaways from this conversation was that in following Jesus, I really must guard against a kind of uh, like a stifling familiarity and independence that essentially nullifies the active voice of God in my life. Instead of that, I need to I need to live into the tension of believing that God speaks and that when God does speak in the big and the small things, everything now has the potential to change. Obedience is risky. Um, so as you head into 2023, I wanted to share this with you because it's good that you have plans and goals, but I hope that those plans and goals aren't set in stone. That's not an appropriate posture for followers of Jesus. I hope that your heart is always postured in such a way that when God speaks and God does speak, you are ready to move in obedience. And so without any further ado, here is Chris Westhoff with an excellent conversation on the prophetic. No matter what tradition you're in, we all agree that he is involved with humanity, like at, a, at the base level. Whether you're Catholic or Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian, we know at the depth of our being that God is involved with humanity. And he is not just involved with humanity, he has a, a he has an idea. He's this is all going somewhere. We use terms like the prophetic to describe how he crashes in, like he did with Ananias when he sent him to go visit Saul, to pray mm -hmm. for his blind eyes to be open and commission the most influential man in human history besides Jesus. Like mm -hmm. we we believe in these things and we know them to be true. And so it's just it just matters. Mm -hmm. Whatever language you put on it, it doesn't matter if you're um, what tradition you're in, we just, we can all agree that we need his voice. We believe in his voice. We believe in his involvement and we believe that he leads us. Welcome to the Follower Podcast, a place for conversations about following Jesus to the depths of his heart and the ends of the earth. My name is Matthew Lewis and I am so glad that you are here. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Follower Podcast. So good to be with you. Today, we have on the podcast, Christine Westhoff. Have I said that right, Christine? Yes, you have. Well done. <laughs> uh, welcome to the Follower Podcast. So good to have you with us. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Yeah. And uh, we have actually only ever met right now, just before this podcast. <laughs> That's true. But, but I, I saw you giving a workshop on reframing the prophetic at the Belfast Conference of 24-7 Prayer. And I was just really impacted by some of the thoughts you shared and 
yeah, really, when we were done, you and your husband, because I sat in one of his workshops, and I thought, man, I just, uh, the follower audience needs to hear these guys. So I'm just so grateful that you made the time. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having us. It's, I love that you felt drawn to both my husband and I. Of course, I like him very much, so it works so much. <laughs> so oh, that's a great. good thing. That's a good thing. Yes. Uh, Christine, maybe you could just kick us off, introduce yourself a little bit to us. Who, who are you? Tell us a bit about your story and where you're from. Well, uh, we currently live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We've been here for the most part for about 20 years. We had a a short stint where we had to move somewhere else for my husband's work, but then quickly came back. So we we find ourselves in the midst of a pretty vibrant, um, large, wonderfully close community here in Tulsa, which has kept us anchored in some really important ways. We have two adult sons who are both married and we are 11 week old grandparents. So we're really happy about that. And uh, over the years, you know, as it goes, the longer we live, the more you find yourself just doing a, a variety of things to serve the Lord and as he leads in different directions. But there's been some common themes for us. And 24-7 has been a part of our life for well over 15 years now. And we we love this global movement. So we, uh, we do a lot of traveling around to different 24-7 communities, I think. I mean, it's usually about 10 countries a year, mm. plus several states. So we, uh, we're we very rarely actually in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to be honest. But, <laughs> yeah. um, and for people listening, people listening who don't know what 24-7 is, just give us a brief overview of that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, the, the core book that went um, viral that gives most people a framework is, is Red Moon Rising from mm-hmm. Pete Gray. He calls himself the very um, reluctant founder of this global <laughs> movement. But yeah. the short version of the story is in uh, 1999, there were multiple prayer movements that ignited around the globe spontaneously, mm. all within two weeks of each other. It's just fascinating. Mm. And t- from 24-7 to IHOP to um, within the Catholic Church, um, mm. out of Indonesia. Like if I think Pete actually did the work to map all of the different prayer movements and it almost covered the entire globe just weeks before, um, you know, the clock struck 2000. So it's, it's fascinating to me, but 24 seven came out of England and uh, the South coast of England. And it was this, I would say it's kind of a a grungy grassroots reaching the margins, giving birth to organic communities that are dedicated towards prayer and serving the poor and and monastic rhythms, but also very charismatic. There's Mm. all different um, forms and functions and and I would call them food groups <laughs> or traditions, <laughs> if you can put it more traditionally, um, that are connected with 24-7. But it's um, throughout many countries around the world, there are expressions, varying expressions of 24-7. It's very ecumenical. Mm. And, uh, and I yeah. don't know if that doesn't do it justice, but there's yeah. my attempt to try to explain it. I think you've, I think you've done so well. I was like, like we just said, I was recently in Belfast with you two guys at your global gathering, or at least yeah. your European gathering, because there was one in America as well now, which I think was the first. Is that right? 
No, it wasn't the first, actually. Uh, um, we've had several in the U.S., but it was uh, the gathering in Belfast was a global gathering. Okay. And then we, tra- we snuck in a national gathering right beforehand. Yeah. Right. And it is exactly that very grungy, very almost hard to nail down. You're not exactly sure what yes. it is or isn't, um, which I loved. Uh, I really loved about that. that. There was a kind of freedom to it and a vibrancy to it. And so, yeah, if you if you don't know about 24-7 prayer, I would highly recommend just go check them out. They're doing wonderful things. And so, so, so much of your ministry is, is within that world. It is very much. They've given us a place um, to work together, to be anchored um, together with people who have a, a, a global vision and mission and influence. And, and I'm, I've just fell in love with this movement. Mm-hmm. So I, um, it's been our home, our family for a very long time. Beautiful. And that, it pulls us all over the world. So we, we do a lot of work with the underground church in the Middle East. Um, and we were doing that before we were connected with 24-7. But 24-7 gobbled that up along with us. And yeah, all over. I'm, I could talk about it for days because mm. everybody, uh, when you talk about a grassroots movement that the Lord did himself, like we spent our life trying to keep up with what he's doing, trying yeah. to uncover and find what he's doing, which I prefer than us trying to drag God into things, you know, right, right. So we can find ourselves doing still, I'm sure. But I would say 24 seven, most, mostly is us trying to catch up with what he is doing in the world. And it's just a thrill. Beautiful. It's an absolute thrill. Yeah. Beautiful. And you said uh, you grew up Catholic and now yes. kind of more charismatic. And yes. uh, tell us a little bit about that journey. That's interesting. I love the Catholic Church. I mm. really do. I, um, I'm. I would still happily be Catholic. Of course, there's theological. You know, I've. I wouldn't agree with everything theologically, but I don't agree with anything. Everything theologically in any tradition, of course. Yeah. And I don't even know if I'm right on most days. So I, I hold. <laughs> I, I, I love theology, and I also hold it loosely. But that's not what you're asking, anyway. Um, but the Catholic. My Catholic upbringing was really rich. Yeah. My, I have a few aunts that are nuns that live a life of prayer that influenced me greatly. My mom is um, a contemplative, deep-hearted Catholic. Uh, and so she really showed us Jesus in a mm. beautiful way. But yet my journey included, you know, quite a season of intense rebellion and then, um, rediscovering the Lord in the the charismatic um, renewal that was taking place in the um, early and mid nineties. And so Mm -hmm. I found myself caught up in that world. So you go from the the contemplative, deep, rich world, and then throw on a good dose of the fire of the Holy spirit in the middle of the charismatic um, renewal. And then pulled back to our contemplative roots. So we, we refer to ourselves either as charismatic contemplatives or contemplative charismatics on any given day, <laughs> or we're quite the mixture, I'm afraid. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. you know, for, for the guys listening, uh, I have spoken quite at length about this through the follow podcast. I have a similar oh, yeah. kind of grew up in the Anglican church, youth pastor in the Methodist church, church planter in the assemblies of God, you know, yeah. missionary with non-denoms. And so I completely get it. And I just think there's so much room at the table of Jesus. And, Absolutely. Um, and you know, the, uh, Richard Foster writes that book where he celebrates all the different streams within the life yeah. of the church. 
And I think there is something redemptive and beautiful in every Absolutely. part of the family, you know. I think we need each other desperately. I mean, the charismatic movement without the contemplative feels like it it doesn't have the the depth and the anchor that it needs. And mm. and the same with the contemplative, that the, the fire of the whole charismatic world brings something different to the contemplative and all the different traditions. I feel like they we we all at best have a piece mm. of what God um, wants to do in the earth. Mm. And we just need each other. Desperately. And, and interesting how, in some sense, uh, both the charismatic and the contemplative are mystic at their heart. They, right? they are. They right. share that idea that, that we're dealing with something else beyond here. Yeah, they're, they're about encounter and experience, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Thank yeah. God for that. <laughs> yes. Thank God for the mystic. <laughs> totally. And, uh, and you said, you know, in your journey, you've experienced beauty and tragedy um, within your yes. following of Jesus. I think anybody who's been doing this for some time can relate to that. I wondered if you could give us maybe an example of both uh, a time of real beauty in your, in your time with Jesus and a time of tragedy. And, and what did you learn out of those things? Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, since I was mentioning the, the charismatic renewal um, the Toronto outpouring and the Kansas City prophets and all of that. There was the the beauty in there. It's just the the, the tangible power and presence of God made him uh, brought my faith at that point in time in the mid nineties. I was, you know, a young mom, thirty something. It was just. <laughs> I struggle for words because it, it did wake up the the tangible reality of God in my in our midst. And I I believed that before I knew it. So even as I say that, I'm like, but it's more it was more than that. Like his he was like a person standing right there that would demonstrate his power. Like it was the, the I had a good dose of the fear of God from the Catholic Church, but then to be in rooms where um, I like turned, I would be in the middle of a prayer movement in the middle of worship and would turn around because I, I heard the Lord say, pray for the person behind you. And so I'd flip around and just say two words to the person behind me. And they had their eyes closed, had no idea, but they were picked up off the ground and thrown. And like, like you, the moments like that were plentiful. I, the, you encounter the power of God in a way that you know who's in charge. <laughs> wow. not, wow. Like, you know, like I am um, dust in mm. the earth and yet so loved. And yet his, his presence and his love and setting people free. And uh, it was, it was stunning. Mm. It was so messy though. There was so much flesh. There was so much in there that was tragic. It was, um, you know, many times I would even use the word abusive uh, or objectifying the Holy Spirit. We, and I'm going to use the term we because myself, like in there, I, I found myself doing things under what I felt like at the moment was inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I look back now and I cringe mm-hmm. because it was like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry that I 
it was manipulation. It was control. I would now put different language on um, some things that we did in there. Prophecies where we crossed boundaries into pushing my own agenda on people. Mm -hmm. uh, expecting things from people and putting a, a demand on their performance that was not from the Lord. Boxing in the Holy Spirit that we presumed he would always look a certain way because that was my reality. Like there was things along those lines that, um, that I, I grieved over quite often and spent, you know, a good several years of my life retracing those steps and finding those people and repenting for people that were on our leadership team that I, um, that we put a demand on them that was not godly. And it, uh, it did not cultivate a, a, a safe space for their soul to come out of hiding. It did not bring out the best in them. So it was, you know, in, in this day and age, we struggle through, uh, I'd say the body of Christ, especially in the Western world is, is struggled so much with um, the abuse of leadership. Mm. And, uh, and we've grieved over looking back, especially in those years on, um, that I, I can't really point the finger because I, we failed in some of the same ways mm. and had to learn the hard way and, uh, the, the beauty of our humanity, the embodiment of um, the grace of God in our life, the, the value of, of freedom I, and in there, my husband went through 10 years of clinical depression. And I think that was our biggest tutor is mm. our own, like his depression challenged my theology. His depression broke us out of all of our hyper spiritual boxes of, of things that we had oversimplified. And mm. so that our biggest tutor, to be honest, for both he and I was his depression. Mm. And um, that's a big part of our, our story. And how we have been formed into who we are today. I don't know, Matthew, I'm rambling. No, it's so. <laughs> beautiful. It's very helpful. I, I was wondering as you, as you were talking, um, I'd imagine there are some people listening to this who've had a similar experience to you. Um, and maybe they haven't been able to, to hold on to their faith or find their way back in the same way that you have. Maybe they've been left, uh, maybe a best cynical, and so they might still consider themselves a Christian, but have kind of shut down that element of their relationship with God, or at worst, maybe some of their experience in those spaces has turned them off God completely. What, what would you say to, to people like that? You know, we toss around the word deconstruction quite a lot. And um, sometimes it's a good word and sometimes it's not. But I think that, the idea of a crisis of faith is, is a necessary part of our journey for all mm -hmm. of us. And these moments of crisis is usually um, a mixed bag. Every moment of crisis in regards to our faith, whether it be depression or spiritual abuse or poor leadership or <laughs> whatever it might be. These moments are always, always, every single time, if I could be so bold, I believe is, a, is mixed between um, my own failure. We've got to look at ourselves. I mean, mm -hmm. in any crisis, we can't count ourselves as purely a victim without 
seeing that there was, I had my own choices in there. I had my own um, failures. And, and I think that's the painful part. So mm. if we're in a victim mindset, that would be number one. I'd say, please check your own heart for a victim mindset. Because we have choices and we we partake <laughs> in wow. most situations. Not always. I mean, there are times that we are a victim of something, but mm. we're not, we don't remain a victim. We still have choices on how we're going to walk that out. Mm -hmm. um, the other part is that the, a human failure if, is really, we, we like to talk about grace when it's about us, but we don't like to talk about grace with human failure when it causes so much damage, like mm -hmm. some of our leaders who have caused so much damage. And we see human failure and we, and that's a harder conversation. Mm -hmm. Like in, um, oh, well, and then the last bit would be um, God. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, he throws us into crisis with himself, with the, the mystery of who he is. And whether we are angry with him or we want him to be different and we thought we had him um, understood in a certain light. And then he shows himself to be in a different light that throws us into crisis. That, that's always in the mix as well, isn't it? Like in the last few years, I've gone through another round of personal crisis on many fronts. And I think many of us have with COVID and, and we've had our, um, the, our racial crisis in the U.S. And many of our big churches, the big evangelical mega church has gone through massive crisis and confrontation. And, and many people have been thrown into the reality that they don't know what they believe anymore. And, and I've been right in the middle of that myself and really embracing the journey. I, I just feel like at this point in my life, I have to embrace the journey mm -hmm. because I know that there's gold to be found. I can't, I can't walk away. I feel like the disciples, when Jesus said, you know, when he tries to say, eat my flesh and drink my blood and he doesn't explain it. I'm like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, please, like, could you please explain it? And he's like, he doesn't explain it. And and their answer is, where else can I go? I, I've been there again the last three years. Where where else can I go? I can't mm. go anywhere else. Uh, it's tragic. The the shape of the body of Christ, the, the character of the body of Christ that has been revealed over these last couple of years has been utterly tragic. And I can't go. Like, where else can I go? Mm. And so I have to embrace it. I have to embrace the crisis and see what he wants to form in me. I've been so angry at the church. I've been, you know, I separate myself from that, as you notice. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm angry at the church at large yeah. when I'm a part of the church at large. But I, it's the reality. It's how I feel. It's how I have felt. Yeah. And then the reality that God knew all along of all of these failures. He's known of all of our brokenness. I've been mad at God that he, that he would trust us weak frail human beings with so much power with so much influence in the world to represent him in the world and we mess it up all the time mm. and why would he do that why would he ask us why would he give us that amount of power to to represent him in the world to be his body in the world it's baffling to me so in the same moment that it's baffling and then i'm i question you know, whether it was a good idea or not, which I can't even say without laughing because, you know, <laughs> he's God. I'm like, Lord, are you sure? But at the same moment, I'm undone that he would 
put his spirit inside of us broken, frail humans, and then trust us to do and to be his hands and feet in the world, to speak his words in the world. To, like, so it both wrecks me with his grace, but it also scares me and we messed it up so badly. So there's, anyway, I'm, I'm rambling once again, but the, that should throw us into crisis on a regular basis, yeah, shouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think, I think what I'm appreciating about your answer here is um, sometimes the way we frame, even the way we frame sharing a testimony or our story of faith, it's very, uh, it's very siloed. So it's like I had this time and then I had this time and then I had yeah. victory over here and now I'm walking. But what I'm hearing from you, which I think is probably more honest of our lived experience, particularly when you walk with Jesus for a little while and you're honest about that walk, is there's a collision of emotion in you all at the same time. And so, you know, and on one level you're going, I don't understand, but at the other, on the other level, there's real conviction coming through and there's real belief in Jesus. And I, I think maybe for me, that would be at least one offering to someone who's struggling with this is that it's okay to, to be in, in the conflict of it all. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. It's beyond okay. I think it's mandatory. I think it's necessary think if we try to silo it, that's where we get in trouble. Mm -hmm. it's, we silo to try to make things more manageable. And I, I think it's probably impossible for us to not try to silo things. But the embrace of the, of the whole uh, is, I think, um, where things go deeper and more honest and more humble and more real in the depth of our faith. Because it everything is messed up and beautiful and glorious and dreadful. Like that's mm -hmm. <laughs> that is the reality. Mm -hmm. And if we deny that, then uh, the crisis will circle around again and again and again. So there's a reality in that that it's both beautiful and really hard. Right, right. Like it's and, supposed to be. And so the encouragement I think to people um, and to myself and to us trying to follow Jesus in this in this broken yeah. world is um, sometimes I've found that my disillusionment with God is, is seldom actually to do with God, God's self, and more about the boxes or frames that I've placed around that God. And if, if, I'll, if I'll allow myself to acknowledge that, that my perceptions of God are always flawed, at, at best always um, limited, then when those perceptions get shaken or broken uh, that is hard and difficult but I'm able to see that as an invitation to deeper entry it's not necessarily the end of a thing now because I've already kind of sat in the position of I am convicted to the degree that I can be but I also am aware that I, I'm seeing dimly but in a mirror thoughts around that idea well, I mean it's it's humility isn't it it's mm. um constant breaking off of the places of pride that think we know things <laughs> right i mean yeah. any place that is being confronted it's a place that i felt confident in and certain in and i think our certainties can often get us in trouble and they're often mixed with pride we have we i think the longer we live the fewer certainties we have and those are going to be polished and refined 
in fire and be found beautiful, but mm-hmm. there's going to be very, very few. Yeah. In my early days, I was certain about so many things that I'm not certain about anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think my most common phrase, especially over these last few years, has been like, wow, there is just so much that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or, or, to be forever learners, forever growing in humility, letting go of the things that we thought we knew so that we could learn all over again is the posture of humility. And I think when we grasp to try to figure things out, to understand, to feel insecure because what I thought I knew, I don't know anymore, to feel challenged and move to a fight, it's it's so wrapped up in pride Mm. and arrogance and overconfidence. And it's, I I think if we'll accept the invitation to an ever-deepening, growing, childlike humility, it's the only way that we can survive Um, every crisis as it increases, knowing that on the other side, our certainties will be less, but our love will be greater. Mm -hmm. It's the hope. Love that our certainties will be less and our love will be greater. And somehow in the midst of this, you, you at the same time, and again, this is us now embracing the tension, uh, you say that Jesus is your whole life <laughs> and that lifting him up is, is your great purpose. You know? so, so there's a pretty strong statement. So tell us about that. Like in the midst of this, that still exists. And what does that look like for you? Well, right now, I don't, I don't know if you're intending to go here, but I would lead that in towards the prophetic conversation because I've, um, it has a very specific look for me right now. Is it okay if I go there? Mm. Yes, absolutely. So within the charismatic world, I've been in, in the, the prophetic ministry for about 30 years. And um, I've had to, um, and personality wise, I'm a, I am, I'm a peacekeeper. I'm a people pleaser. But in this moment, in this, uh, in these last couple of years, especially, I've I've had to really confront in my own heart and in the the world around me that the charismatic, um, the way that we have uh, understood the prophetic is flawed, so terribly flawed. And I think I well, I know I've always known it. I just didn't know any better. And part of me was, was scared of it. And, um, but I've been in the prophetic ministry. Like this has been my life and I've, this is what takes me around the world. This is what I teach. This is what, like uh, over the years I've, you know, you've, we, none of us would have said that we had it all together, that we had this prophetic thing nailed down. I don't, I've never met anybody in the prophetic charismatic world that thought we had it you know, figured out. Right. <laughs> it's always been rather messy. And we've, we've tried to boundary it with, you know, rules of how to be nice and how to <laughs> be <laughs> humble in it. And, um, but this, uh, these last few years, the, the prophetic, I think has gone through its own massive crisis, especially in the U S and, um, the influence of that has been tragic. And I, don't need to go into that, but it's gotten entangled with our political system and all of that. And so it forced me into a place of um, looking more deeply at, uh, at the scripture, revisiting the scripture. And out of that, brought this, wrote this whole curriculum on mm-hmm. reframing 
how we understand the prophetic. The reason I'm going into all that to answer your question is because it has, um, I'll be honest with you, Matthew, it's taken a lot of courage for me to go there as a peacekeeper, people pleaser kind of a person. Right. And um, we, through our story and through our life, we have a high value for broken things. Like we just mm-hmm. like, we're broken. We know everybody's broken. We're going to do brokenness and honesty and vulnerability and authenticity really well. We, right. we think God I, loves our humanity and we're allowed to be broken. We're allowed to be human. So that, could lead me to and has led me to over the years just saying oh yeah we're broken the prophetic's broken and move on but the the crisis of um the last few years for me has felt like it's time to bring challenge for Mm -hmm. uh, it's time to dive in and find out where this root system has gone a bit off and what what are we missing and get more clarity on that so i've i spent um many, many hours and months and weeks and years with uh, my theologian friends who are much smarter than me, leading me through uh, the scripture in a, in a new way, observing the prophetic and, and bringing some answers to those questions that I've had for years. And so here is this where the, the brokenness um, embrace meets challenge. Mm-hmm. And that I think there's tension in there where, it was time to bring challenge. And I'm in a season where I'm like, yeah, I I feel like this curriculum gently, but honestly requires us to look again at the scripture and see, mm-hmm. um, be willing to lay down our certainties and look again at what this gift actually is and what it's supposed to be doing in the earth. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's where those two things have um, have met for me. Is that the the it's time to bring the challenge in some places, but to learn how to do it well has been um has been another challenge. <laughs> anyway, I don't even know <laughs> right. if I answered your question. No. But that's where, that's my current moment, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I think, and again, you can correct me because you're the one who wrote the curriculum, but for me that rings so true of the prophetic function within the church. It is this lifting up of Christ, this calling the church to look again, this kind of this voice in the wilderness, right? Preparing the way. Would you agree with that? So when we talk about lifting Jesus up in our midst, in the midst of our church, in the midst of our world, there's a real prophetic function within that. Absolutely. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he he gets final say. And so if my view on the prophetic ministry, even though it might involve my entire life, my career, everything I've put myself into for the last 30 years, he gets final say. So all of everything that I have always believed had to die to mm-hmm. be able to give him the final say that I've been saying that he he deserves, that he has, that he is Lord. And so the the reimagining and relooking at some things that I have held sacred has, um, is those are moments of test. Does he have final say? And yes, the prophetic, I mean, the, the entire purpose of the prophetic is to speak alignment to the body of Christ, to uh-huh. the covenant. Uh, in the Old Testament, that was the covenant under the law. In the New Testament, the covenant is Jesus, you know, hence the mm-hmm. reason why the spirit of prophecy is a testimony of Jesus. And so it does involve that correction when we lift him up above everything. Mm-hmm. It, he will automatically correct some things. You know, mm-hmm. it's just that mm-hmm. chiropractic alignment 
mm-hmm. that he wants to bring to us over and over and over again. And, and if we soften the prophetic down to the point where it's not allowed to do that, I mean, I think that's some of, I don't know, I've asked big questions and I'm not saying this, Matthew, but in my world, we've turned the prophetic into something that's way more about building up personal, you know, and it's not all bad. I think it's all, it's good. It's we're going to call out or call out your gifts and callings and bring edification and exhortation. And I think it does that. And I think all of that's beautiful and I'm not opposed to it. But if we minimize it to just that, then we have lost that, um, the alignment, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the word of the prophetic for the body of Christ at large, where the Lord is aligning us, realigning us to his voice. I think there's so much of that happening today. And, and I wonder if we hadn't tried to soften him up, if the church would be in a healthier place. I don't know. Wow. But, wow. I, but I do wonder that. Like, I'm like, Lord, if we had allowed the prophetic to be its full purpose, Mm-hmm. in the earth all of these years would we be here right now if we mm-hmm. knew how to listen to those voices you know do you think uh, as I'm listening to you speak do you think the prophetic in terms of what you're describing uh, could have been one more casualty of a kind of commodified faith, uh, a Christianity that's built for the individual, for personal, um, you know. T- and and what do you what do you think about that? And the reason I say that is because I can see, even if we talk about formational spirituality, uh, I love Mulholland's definition is that this is for the sake of others. Yes. But in a certain context, if it's if we allow formation or discipleship or being made to look like Jesus, to be hijacked by um, by a culture that's all about me, then it just becomes cosmic therapy and it becomes like unhelpfully introspective. Yes. I wonder if the prophetic has, has had the same issue in terms of what you're describing. Absolutely. I completely agree. If you, if you look at the, um, at least in the West, but uh, many of our, cultures around the world right now, but I, um, I'll speak what I know about the U.S. especially. We have, um, I would call it an idol of comfort. Mm-hmm. I think we, it's a, it's an, yeah, it's an idol. Uh, we value comfort very highly. <laughs> and so we have, and we've read the scripture, especially in regards to the prophetic through that filter of seeking comfort. And so when you ask anybody what is the purpose of the prophetic? They'll say, 1 Corinthians 14, to edify, exhort, and comfort. But that's not that's not demonstrated throughout the Bible. I mean, then what we take that to mean is then that means um, the prophetic is completely defined by encouragement. Because we even take those three words, edify, exhort, and comfort, and we grab we leave out the exhort part, and we grab hold of the comfort and the edify part, <laughs> because that's... That's the, yeah. our cultural lens, you know, right. it's easy for me when I go to the Middle East to see that they have a cultural lens of an Islamic culture, which um, draws them to highlight the, the, the fear of God, but there's no intimacy with God. They struggle with that part because of their, their the cultural lenses that they have learned to um, read the scripture through, to experience all of life through. And we have those of our own. Mm-hmm. And that I think in regards to the prophetic has really um, molded the prophetic to be very uh, influenced by our culture and by yeah. our value systems. Yeah. 
And that's what we're trying to shake up and break out. Because, I mean, even looking through the book of Acts to see what the prophetic was doing, I mean, it it advanced the gospel. It, it was never, never once do we see people putting somebody in a hot seat and everybody gathering around and hearing the Lord to say something nice to this person. Like, that's not in the Bible anywhere. Mm-hmm. I think it's good. It's not a bad practice, obviously. That's not sin involved, but it's not in the Bible. And it's certainly mm-hmm. not our definition of the prophetic and how it should function. Right. The, the prophetic was Cornelius, like, I mean, Peter on the rooftop, <clears throat> seeing the vision and being led to the house of a Gentile to bring the Gentile Pentecost in Cornelius's house. That like there was there was Ananias opening the eyes of of Saul. The it's the Macedonian man that was waving Paul to bring the gospel into Europe. I mean, every single time we see the prophetic function in the, the New Testament, it was for the advancement of the gospel and bringing alignment to the people of God, expanding in the into the the kingdom being brought forth. It was not about our personal edification. And never. Very never. interesting. Wow. But so what we've made it, like what what we define the prophetic in the world today, it's unrecognizable in the scripture. Like hmm. it just doesn't exist. And that's a very sobering thing yeah. to um, see. Wow. And to, especially after 30 years of prophetic ministry. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> or whatever yeah. it is, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then to grapple with God's perspective on that and his mercy over all of it and his kindness over all of it. But then there is a, a fight to bring the, the true prophetic voice forth. It, it's we need it so badly. Mm. And people get scared when you start talking about correction or warnings, you know, but every single time in the book of Acts alone, every single time it's either direction, correction or warning. And those are the three things we tell our prophetic people they can't do, you know, so it, <laughs> there's got to be something a bit um, off. <laughs> and, yes. and, but then, of course, the, we tell people not to do that because they've done it so poorly and they, they've done it arrogantly and they've caused damage and there's no love involved. And so mm-hmm. we, we have a love problem, really. <laughs> we, have a, we have a love problem um, because we, we can't seem to see the difference between correction and and love or that we think there's a difference i don't know i could ramble on forever that's very good it's very good christine the the purpose of the prophetic is something that we need to fight for it and i'm convinced of it because i think we need that sharp strong clear humble radically humble overwhelmingly filled with love prophetic voice now more than ever yeah that is aligning us back to the purposes of christ in the earth yeah and, and, you know, just to be clear, what I'm not hearing you say is that I think what you've said here is that the praying for people, getting a word for people, encouragement, that's not bad. It's just no. like that is so that if anything, that is like just the beginning of a, a sort of prophetic stirring and that the actual role of the prophetic has a higher ideal than that. Yeah. 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 Often at this point is where I would grab a big dry erase board and draw a big circle. Oops, sorry. Draw a big circle. I say, if this is the prophetic in the Bible, I think our, the way that we have defined the prophetic or the way that we function in the prophetic has a little dot right towards the edge. Wow, right. Totally fine. And I, I think sometimes it's a label problem. I think we should absolutely be praying for people and seeking to hear God's voice 
because his his words are just better than ours anyway. He loves better than us. We want the Holy Spirit to be free to love people and encourage them through us. Uh, we need more and more of that. I'm just not sure that we should um, allow that to utterly define the prophetic. Right. The prophetic is much more expansive than that. It's it's much more purposeful than that. It has a it has a purpose in the earth that we are not often seeing right now because we have allowed this small expression that is beautiful, but we've allowed that to utterly define the prophetic, and that's the box yeah. I'm trying to break us out. Brilliant. And so now we, you know, we've got people listening and, and I think, I think you're the perfect person for this actually. So the audience of follower is across the board. We've got some people who swim in that charismatic stream. So the language of the prophetic is bread and butter to them. And they will have been tracking with this whole thing. But then there's other people for whom this is just, they don't hear this on a regular basis. They, they read their Bible, they do their thing. And, um, if I'm someone who goes, that's very interesting, but I'm not a prophet. You know, I haven't put myself in that category. I don't relate to that. Uh, why is this still important across the board for every follower of Jesus? Why does this matter? <laughs> I love that question. It matters because we need his voice in the earth, period. All of us hear God's voice, obviously, or else we wouldn't be following him in the first place. So whether or not you believe that you hear God's voice, you do. because. You couldn't be a Jesus follower without knowing his voice. And and I know the word voice even is confusing because it's not like we're hearing an audible voice in our ears, but he, um, we follow um, the, the tr a Trinitarian God who we all believe, no matter what tradition you're in, we all agree that he is involved with humanity, like at, a, at the base level, whether you're Catholic or Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian, we all, we know at the depth of our being that God is involved with humanity. And he is not just involved with humanity. He has a, a he has an idea. He's, this is all going somewhere. We mm -hmm. all, we know that this is going somewhere and we follow him because he's taking us somewhere. So at, at the, at the root system of all of our traditions, uh, there's so many um, things that are the same that we can all agree on. We use terms like the prophetic um, to describe how he crashes in like John the Baptist or John the Beloved in the book of Revelation, like how, how, um, how God crashes in like he did with Ananias when he sent him to go visit Saul to pray mm -hmm. for his blind eyes to be open and commission the most influential man in human history besides Jesus. Like mm -hmm. we, we believe in these things and we know them to be true. Uh, and so it's just, it just matters. Mm -hmm. Whatever language you put on it, it doesn't matter if you're, um, what tradition you're in, we just, we can all agree that we need his voice. We believe in his voice. We believe in his involvement and we believe that he leads us. And so one way or another, I think there's prophets all over the Catholic church that would never use that label. I right. think Martin Luther King Jr. was a prophet. I, whether or not you agree with that, there's, there's, um, 
there are prophets in the earth right now that wouldn't ever use that language. Right. And then many people who do call themselves prophets probably aren't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm. So I don't know if um, people can absolutely disagree with my perspective on that. But at the, at the end of the day, we all do. We all must believe that he leads us, that he is personally and intimately engaged with humanity. And this is all going somewhere and we need his voice in mm. and through us. We just, if you're a Catholic, you believe the priest is speaking and that he is inspired of God to, um, to speak to us. That's, that's prophetic at at one level, right? Yeah. And And there is a common language. Yes, absolutely. And whether you, I think I would just say to someone as well, if they're listening to this with maybe a skeptical lens, you know, whether, whether you make a huge differentiation between the office of the prophet or not, all followers of Jesus are called to be salt and light in the earth. Yes. (laughs) And that is a prophetic function. And I think, and I think why I appreciate that is that very often the way that we've cultivated our Christian communities is that we have like a handful of professionals and then a huge crowd of bystanders and spectators. And what this is doing is if you're saying, well, actually there's an element of the prophetic involved, no matter who you are and what you think that is, now we're calling people out of the bleachers or the stands, if you will, into the field and saying, actually, you have a role of lifting up this Christ in the midst of the earth. Would you agree with that idea? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. 100%. Um, Christine, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you, Matthew. Um, I wonder if as we close, is there anything that's burning on your heart that you feel you just want to say? Imagine this uh, group of people listening to you, different parts of the world now. Is, is there any, any thought that's kind of lingering in you where you would just want to leave people with something as we close? No, I think we're in a very um, crucial moment with the global church, if I could be so bold. I'll be, uh, on the backside if you want to use that language of a of a pandemic the whole world we are in an emotional mental spiritual health crisis we're in a new world like we are different people than we were three years ago we are the church is a different um entity if you will than it was three years ago we are all grappling with um the change we are uh, we have been somehow formed and transformed for the good or the bad and i i i'm not saying that god brought the pandemic so please hear me that's not what i'm saying i'm not making a theological statement on on that but i do feel like there are many things that he is um, inviting us and pulling us into laying down what we thought we knew and giving birth to um, change, Mm -hmm. helping us to uh, see things differently than we did three years ago. We, um, there's been so much um, confronted, even I'm struggling with words, Matthew, I'm so sorry, but 
at our at the core, most of us as followers of Jesus have been confronted in mm-hmm. one way or another these last few years, confronted with our theology or our beliefs or heartbroken over leaders who have fallen, uh, confronted over um, our cultural paradigms that let us down in the middle of this moment or the, the pain and suffering that we are grappling with that we don't know what that says about who God is. Like there's all of these now, there is crisis of faith all around us. And if we allow it um, to have its work in us, in transformation and not deformation, in, in drawing us to find him in the middle of it, laying down what we thought we knew and starting over again in a way, I think there's something beautiful that he is doing in the earth. I think it is, um, it is an global transformation moment if we will embrace uh, our ignorance there, there mm. it's just a humility and it, there is a call to humility in the middle of this and an and a increase of faith and trust in the middle of what we don't know so that he can reform something in the earth that we haven't seen yet like i you can you can all take we can almost taste what he wants to do, but not, you know, we don't want to put our hands on our fingerprints all over things that we have no idea what he's trying to form and and do. And we're trying to, we can try too hard to try to build something to come up with an answer to the new world on the other side of a pandemic. But it's, um, my words are so often lately about, like, um, let's not rebuild what was just torn down. Please, let's not run forward thinking that we have any idea what needs to happen now. We are in a a wait and cling moment, letting Mm. go of our arrogances that we didn't even know were arrogances. We cling like children to the feet of Christ and go into what feels like a new world, what feels like a new land. It's almost a like in in my work in the Middle East, in the work in Lebanon, they're in post-war um, culture in Syria, they're in post-war culture. It almost feels that. It's almost like we are we are broken and fragile and the rebuilding will begin. But we have no idea what that's supposed to look like. I know that all sounded so cryptic, but I it's it's so hard to put words mm-hmm. to. It's exciting, but there's um the call for humility and holiness is so high right now. Mm-hmm. It's so high. So mm-hmm. I don't know if any of that I made think, it. Uh, you, know, you know what stands out to me as you say that? Uh, there's that psalm that says, uh, I've quietened my soul like a weaned child. Yeah. Uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not preoccupying myself with things too grand for me, too, things too lofty. Right. Right. Uh, I think sometimes in the wake of chaos, we can want to force order. Yeah. Uh, that can Absolutely. be our knee-jerk reaction. But I think your yeah. invitation is to try and resist that <laughs> in yeah. favor of uh, deep dependence yeah. and waiting on the Lord. That's exactly, right. That's exactly right. You said it much better than I could. <laughs> uh, Christine, if people want to find this prophetic stuff, uh, reframingtheprophetic.com. That's yes. where they can go, yes? That's where they can go. That's the curriculum. We've got the book coming out next year. We've got some a discernment course that we're working on and putting up soon. Wonderful. So if everything that Christine's been sharing has just been blowing up inside of you, if it's stirring in your soul, if you're going, man, I I love this idea of the prophetic and I actually want to explore this some more, 
then go and have a look at reframingtheprophetic.com. I had a little taste of it in Christine's workshop. And I just want to tell you guys, it's, it's incredible. And that's why she's here on the podcast. So go have a look at that stuff. If this is stirring inside of you, um, and I hope that it's, it's a good gift to you. Christine, thank you so much for your time on the follow-up podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And everybody else will uh, see you on the next episode.